0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So last time, uh, we covered Exodus from chapter 8 through halfway through chapter 10 up to verse 13. Um, and that covered the plagues, the third plague through the ninth plague. Um, I'm going to just read from the beginning of chapter 10, of the first 13 verses, just so we can be up to date on this chapter. And then we'll continue, God willing, um, from there, um, uh, from the middle of chapter 10, starting in verse uh, 14. So it says now the Lord said to Moses go into Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of mine before him and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. And they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, which was the previous plague. And they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young, our old, with our sons, with our daughters, with our flocks, and our herds we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from the presence of Pharaoh. So here we said that in the end, after um, all that had come, uh, Pharaoh was agreeing with Moses that that they would go, but he didn't want everyone to go. He wanted just the men to go because he knew that if they left behind their families and so on, that they would not be able to completely go away. Instead, they would return, and, and that's why Pharaoh was resistant to the idea of all of them going. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land and all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. So um, again, we see um, that God gave. Uh, a warning uh, to pharaoh from the beginning and he gave pharaoh the decision he gave pharaoh um, that to be aware of what is it that god was doing and if pharaoh chose rightly then he would be spared from the devastation that was to come but if pharaoh chose poorly then he would have to um, suffer the consequences um, of that and as i mentioned earlier this gives us another example really all of these plagues give us this example of the difference between authority and power Moses was given the authority to do these signs, which is why God is the one telling Moses to stretch out his rod over the land. Here, when when God is speaking to Moses, he says what? Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So it's interesting for us because we can, of course, understand the idea that God can do all things. Right? God does not need to tell Moses to do any action. Right? God does not need to tell Moses, go and stretch out your rod over the land of Egypt. God is um, allowing Moses to participate in the service and be his representative on earth so that those who see Moses see him as representing God. That God is doing his work through Moses. Right? God is doing his work through Moses. And that means that if Moses is cooperating, If Moses is obeying, if Moses is accepting, what is it that God is doing and he is listening to God and obeying God? The work of God is being done. But if Moses rejects the work of God, if Moses rejects the commandments of God, then God does not work. Then God does not do. perfect example of this is Jonah, Jonah the prophet. Jonah was called by God to go and preach to the Ninevites right, for the sake of their repentance. God wanted them to repent. And God chose Jonah to be the one to whom to for the them them uh, for them to repent, but when Jonah rejected the command of God and he fled and he went to the opposite direction, right? There was no other means that God just said, okay, Jonah's, you know Jonah uh, is not cooperating, so I'm going to do it some other way. The people would not have received this message if Jonah had um, not ultimately gone. So it tells us something about how God chooses to work in the world. You know, and this question comes up a lot um, when we speak about, for instance, intercession of the saints or, or the work of the church even. Um, you know, God chooses to work through the church in the world, right? Um, in Matthew 18, the Lord said to the apostles, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here, Moses, even though he has no power in himself, Right? in order for him to raise his rod and then suddenly all these things start to happen and yet god which is the one with power has bestowed upon him the authority such that when he does these things then 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 uh, when he raises his rod then these things will happen even all the way to the end even when later when we talk about the crossing of the red sea god doesn't just say i'm going to part the red sea he tells moses to use his rod to part the red sea so in every way, God wants to make it clear to us that he is bestowing power upon us in different ways. He's bestowing authority, should I say authority, on us. And this authority that God gives to the church, that God gives to the priesthood, that God gives to all of the, the things that he has, has, has ordained and created in the world that are his representatives, that we are the ones to go and as ambassadors to go and reveal him to the world. This is why like when it comes to evangelism, he, give, he places it on us. He says, it is our role to be the ones to go and to preach the word of God to people. God could, of course, at any time, through miraculous means, do anything at all that he asks us as human beings to do. He could easily do it himself through whatever means, and it would be more effective than what it is that we are doing ourselves. But this is not the way that God chooses to work. God chooses to Um, cooperate with us he chooses to bring us into the service with him that that it is through us that he accomplishes these things and here it is through moses that he is accomplishing these things so this is where we left off so it says and the locusts went up over all the land of egypt and rested on all the territory of egypt they were very severe previously there had been no such locusts as they nor shall there ever be such after them For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Again, we see um, Pharaoh says the same thing as before. He says, I have sinned says i have sinned against the lord your god and against you but that proclamation is not a sincere and true repentance he again is wanting to see what like he's wanting to get out of this trouble that he is in now therefore please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the lord your god that he may take away from me this death only right he's seeking the removal of this plague and at this point you can imagine you can see the devastation you can see the utter devastation of egypt Everything is destroyed. Every plague that came about, everything is destroyed. The country is in ruins. And yet, even after all of this, Pharaoh does not want to relinquish his power. He doesn't want to submit to God. He doesn't want to allow these people to go. And it says also from a spiritual perspective something about us. Let's say we have some kind of addiction. And this addiction is destroying us. This addiction is affecting every part of our life in a negative way. And even though we look at our life... And we see that it is being destroyed. And we see that this addiction is, is just conquering us and over and over. And every time we fall into it, our life is getting worse and worse and worse. But it's something that for whatever reason, we can't let, let go of it. I, we don't have control of it. It has control of us. So we are in bondage to it. And that is why we are like why we are in bondage. We are in bondage because we can't stop it, even though it, we know that it's destructive. Each of us can look at it and say, "Yes, this is destructive. This is harmful to me. I gain nothing and no benefit at all from this, and yet in every way it destroys me. It keeps me in slavery, and so on." And yet, and that is why the the reason that we are actually doing this is not a rational reason. It is not. It is not because of our thinking. It's not because we have decided that this is what we should do. It is. It um, it, is, it is a passion that overcomes us, that overpowers us, that is stronger than us. Which is why whenever we are seeking to be freed from a passion, to be, s- to be freed from a slavery, this slavery has to be through the Lord Christ. It cannot be through our own efforts. Because our own efforts are unable, I mean, just from a rational human perspective, we can look at it and say, this is harmful, this is destroying me. And yet that is not enough. It is not enough to know that we are being destroyed. We have no power in us. Again, going back to the idea of the power and authority. We have no power in us to overcome sin. And yet the Lord says, I grant you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and upon every power of the enemy. So the authority that we are given is given to us by God. Who is it who can conquer this slavery? It is God. The Lord is the one who said when, 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 when he sets us free, we are free indeed. The freedom that comes from Christ can only come from him, and it doesn't come from um, just realizing that we are sinning or just realizing that what we are doing is wrong. It can only come through the power of God working in us. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, Moses did. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea, There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. As we said before, the Lord hardening his heart means that Pharaoh hardens his heart, but the Lord does not um, grant his grace to soften it, right? Essentially, the Lord is leaving Pharaoh to his own will, okay? Pharaoh has decided, because of whatever reasons in himself, right? that he is unable to let the people go. It is It is not It is not about what is best for Egypt. It is not even about what is best for him. He is unable to submit. He's unable to let go of, of, of his control. He wants to be um, in control and he makes himself to be as a God and wants himself to be stronger than than the true God. Then the Lord said to Moses, so now we're on the ninth plague, the ninth plague, then the lord said to moses stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of egypt darkness which may be felt like just give you that sense of how dark it is to the point where it's like you can almost feel the darkness so moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of egypt three days They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Right. It's like it's like even the lights, even the the, the lights that they would light in their homes. It's like there was nothing. It was complete and utter darkness. While at the same time, God was protecting the Israelites and they were able to see despite the darkness that was in the land. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, so he's now like you know uh at the end you know he says go serve the lord only let your flocks and your herds be kept back let your little ones also go with you so he's he's giving them a little bit more he's saying go serve the lord but keep your animals back let your little ones go so more of you can go before he was saying let the men only go now the men and the children can go but the animals stay Again, because he wants there to be a reason for them to return. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. So what is Moses saying? What is Moses saying? He's saying we we can't go and offer sacrifice to God unless we have our animals to sacrifice. And we don't know exactly what God is asking of us to sacrifice until we go. So we have to bring all of our animals so that when the Lord asks us and tells us what to do, all of the animals are there by which we can offer sacrifice. But again, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Now what is about to come is the tenth plague, which is the worst of all the plagues. These two coming chapters in Exodus 11 and 12, you could consider them to be like the pinnacle of the whole book of Exodus. They are filled with symbolism, okay, and and the most important event that happens is the institution of the Passover, and the deliverance of uh, of the Israelites from Egypt, okay. So here in 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 the in God, you, you begin to see the great wisdom of God in this, in that now that He has the opportunity for the institution of the Passover, all of this was in His mind. The Passover, and I'll explain in more detail about it, but the Passover is uh, a symbol and a foretelling of the sacrifice of Christ. And we see all of the elements related to the sacrifice of Christ in it. And the Lord wanted to institute this Passover. You can, you can see in the mind of God his, his, his desire for everything to escalate up until this 10th plague, so that now he has the opportunity to reveal to the people about himself and to prophesy about the future uh, coming Messiah and how he will bring about the salvation of the whole world. What we're going to see now is the salvation of the Israelites. Okay, But this is a symbol for the salvation of the whole world, the salvation that would come through the crucifixion of the Lord Christ, about the forgiveness of sins, about the shedding of blood, all these things that are going to come. Uh, in the future in the New Testament. We see the, the the basic elements of it here. And that's one of the very important reasons that God wanted to institute this Passover. And, and and one of the reasons why God was using the hardness of Pharaoh's heart to lead up to this point. So as we said at the beginning, the suffering of, 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 of people, um, God uses it for good. And here God is using the suffering of all of the uh, Israelites to bring up this uh passover to to institute the passover for the sake of us now being able to look back at it and being confirmed in our faith that this is indeed the same god who was working in the old testament it's the same god in the new testament and the god who was incarnate for us um on the cross so it says and the lord said to moses i will bring one more plague on pharaoh and on egypt afterward he will let you go from here When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. So one more plague, it will be the last one, and after this you will indeed be free, Pharaoh will indeed let you go. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor, and every woman from her neighbor, articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So um, God is telling all the people that you're going you're gonna to take the silver and gold from your neighbors, because when, y- when the exodus happens and you actually leave, you're going to plunder the Egyptians by taking all of their wealth. In addition to all the other destruction that had happened to them, you're going to take all of their, their wealth again, it gives us a sense of the devastation that the Lord um, brings about on Satan. You know, th- remember we said Pharaoh represents Satan and Moses here is a representative of Christ and that he is leading the people out of the slavery of sin and out of the dominion of the devil into the promised land. Okay? And this act of, of, of bringing the people out of the promise, uh, to the promised land is, is a destruction and a devastation of Satan. Satan is not, you know, simply like a power, remains as like a powerful ruler, right? For this time that we are in now, God has given Satan the time of being a ruler. But there is a time where he is going to completely trample and step on and defeat the devil. And you see here kind of a symbol of his devastation and everything that's happened to Egypt and how he has been plundered. Um, also, it says that Moses, being a man of God, had a great reputation, that he was very powerful and very great, even among the Egyptians, even among Pharaoh's servants. So maybe Pharaoh has hardened his heart, and he is not willing to accept and see what is happening around him. But ab- around the, the people around Pharaoh, like his servants, they do see. They, they see how, um, how, how Moses is, like God is using him and glorifying God in, in all that he is doing. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who was behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But again against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against a man or beast that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israelites. So again we see how God is protecting and safeguarding the Israelites so that they will not suffer the same uh, outcome that the Israelites uh, sorry that the Egyptians are suffering. And again it brings us to a spiritual understanding. The Lord's protection The Passover that we're about to discuss is what protects us from everlasting death. You know, we were speaking about in the Harvest series about the Orthodox afterlife. And you see how the souls of those who die, they meet this kind of spiritual attack by the demons and they are rescued by the angels. They are rescued because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord is the one who saves them from everlasting destruction. This destruction, this everlasting destruction that we see, is actually what is would have happened to all of us had the Lord not come for our salvation. What we are benefiting from, in the Incarnation and the Crucifixion and the Resurrection of the Lord is the salvation from this eternal death. And this here is what we are about to see kind of like a physical manifestation of the same thing, okay? And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger, okay? So... um. So here he's, uh, he's giving Pharaoh this warning, and he's telling him, you're never going to see me again. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Okay. <coughs> Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying this month shall be your beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year to you up until this point the the Israelites were not considered like a people they were not a nation they were maybe like an ethnic group okay but they didn't have their own their own nation they didn't have their own country they didn't have like their own their their own um rights that they would that, w- that they would uh, uh follow according to God's command like they didn't have any of the feasts or the fasts or the you know like all the things like the law of Moses when 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 it was delivered to Moses that God gave so many instructions and commandments that that began to shape the identity of these uh Israelites up until now they didn't have this okay God is now instituting a calendar for them he's saying this is the cycle of of the year that I want you to follow and the very first month of the year is going to be this month, okay? Um, this will be the new year. We'll start on this month, which represents a new beginning. And this new beginning is founded on the day uh, or, or on the month where the Passover happened, okay? This whole cycle, this whole beginning that is happening now based on the Passover, based on the sacrifice that God that they are making of the animal, they're going to put the blood on, their, um, on the, the doors of their homes, for the salvation, so the shedding of blood for their salvation is the beginning of the year for them. Okay, it tells us that the, our whole cycle of humanity, our whole cycle of the year, everything that we do should be based on ultimately the work of God. It shouldn't be based on our kind of our 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 professional pursuits or our personal pursuits or whatever pursuits that we have in our life. But our 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 very year, our very calendar, our way our very way of thinking about time should be based on. The work of God. Just as in the New Testament, the beginning of the life of a Christian is based on their baptism, right? We read in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. So the newness of life that we as believers have begins what? With baptism. Just as here, this Uh, event this passover is the beginning of months is the beginning of their calendar also in second corinthians 5 verse 17 it says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation all things have passed away behold all things have become new so there is a newness of life there is a newing a renewing of mind there is a resurrection at the beginning of the, the, the walk of a Christian with Christ. And here also he is instituting a beginning. This is a new beginning, a new identity that now these people have. They are no longer slaves and bondage in Egypt, but they are now free, liberated, uh, the people of God, that God is then going to lead them to the promised land. Speak to all the congregation of Israel. This is God sa- telling Moses. On the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, According to the house of his father a lamb for a household okay so what does this lamb represent yes sacrifice of christ right that's why um, saint john the baptist when he saw christ he said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world. This is why actually the meaning of all of the burnt sacrifices that were instituted in the Old Testament were intended to put into the minds of the Jewish people that it is only through the shedding of blood that there is remission of sins. This is why the people, whenever they would commit a sin, they would offer sacrifice. They would put their hand on the animal that was to be sacrificed as though like symbolically transferring this their sin to the animal and then the animal would be slaughtered, okay? That sacrifice was for the forgiveness of their sin. Which means what? That there there needs to be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin and that it is actually in the New Testament, it would make them to understand that it is the Lord as the lamb of God who is receiving upon him the sins of the people, the sins of the whole world and then being slaughtered like the lamb in order for the whole world to be forgiven of sin, okay? So God is telling them take this uh, lamb on the 10th day of the month, okay? Taking the lamb is representative of the Lord. So when we're fast-forwarding now to the New Testament, right? So many of the things that the Lord did are kind of the the, the fulfillment of the symbols that we're about to read about in the Passover, okay? So, so the Lord, when he entered Jerusalem before the crucifixion on Palm Sunday, okay, this is like preparing the lamb. The Lord has entered into Jerusalem. The Lord is preparing for the crucifixion, okay? And here this is taking the lamb. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Okay. So first, the the characteristics of the lamb. Okay. So again, the, r- the lamb represents the Lord Jesus Christ. So it says what the lamb should be without blemish. Okay. So we know that the Lord Jesus Christ was without, without blemish because he was without sin. Yes.
1: So, uh, just in general, I wanted to ask about the sacrifice, or, or sacrifice in general, um, but also with regard to Christ's uh, sacrifice uh, on Golgotha. Um, because I, I think that from what I'd heard, we believe something distinct from the Roman Catholics with regard to that, right? Where I, or, or I think the Western Christianity in general, where they. Um believe that the sacrifice was something to appease God the Father that he had to die in order to appease God the Father uh, but we don't accept that right uh, and what is our perception then of sacrifice if that's true
0: we we uh, there there is more than one view and some people say that it's one way and some people say that it's another way we actually think that both views are correct oh. okay because there is a there is like a legal terminology there is like a like a subs- like it's called um like the atonement, the substitutionary atonement. Okay, um, there is the idea that we are trying to we are that that the 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 sacrifice of Christ satisfied the justice of God, and that like in the idea of, of appeasing God, right? So so the the command of God from the very beginning was the wages of sin are death. This is like the the nature of reality, if you want to say it. the wages of sin are death, right? This is why after Adam and Eve sinned. God did not just come and say, "I forgive you," right? Because we know that God is a God of forgiveness; He forgives us constantly, all the time. Why is it that He could not just, after Adam and Eve sinned, say, "I forgive you, and I'm gonna undo all of the negative consequences that are gonna come from your sin"? He didn't, okay? Because according to the justice of God, the wages of sin is death. So what the Lord did is He, um, He, He satisfied the law but in himself. So he didn't cancel the law. He satisfied it in himself. Like an analogy that I heard kind of to try to explain it, kind of in a crude way, but maybe in a way that can help us to understand, is there was a father who um, told his son, you know, he gave him certain rules of the house. And he told him um, that if you break this rule, you're going to have to spend the night in the attic. Okay? So this was a, a rule. The father didn't want his son to spend the night in the attic. But this was the rule he gave in hoping that his son is not going to break the rule. But the son breaks the rule. OK, so the father now, he doesn't want his son to be in the attic by himself and he's going to be afraid there. But at the same time, he, as the father, gave the rule. So it would be unjust and and, and of, of him just to say, OK, forget the rule. Forget what I said. Forget the consequence. I love you so much. Right. Because that would mean then that you can't trust what the father says. So, of course, God can't go back on what he said, okay? But the father, what he decided to do is to go and spend the night in the attic with his son, okay? So he didn't break the rule, but he found a way of salvation in the sense that I am freeing you from the consequences of that rule without breaking the rule. So that's really what the Lord did. The, Lord, um, he, the wages of sin is death, so that's why he took the death on himself. Like, he took the punishment on himself which is why he had to die, okay? If there had been no death, then there would have been no forgiveness and there would have been no salvation. And this was clear even from the Old Testament. Why is it that all of these animals were being sacrificed? Because the only means by which uh, whenever, whenever sin had been committed in order for it to be forgiven is there had to be death. But instead of killing the person, they would symbolically transfer that sin onto the animal and then they would kill the animal. Okay. And so the Lord being the Lamb of God, he satisfied the justice of God. Okay. That doesn't mean that that's the only thing that happened in this in, in salvation. That's the only thing that happened. For instance, we believe that simply the incarnation of the Lord, taking our flesh on himself, like cured our nature. It's like giving us a new nature in the fact that he is coming and taking that nature upon himself. Right? It's a way of healing us, right? Healing us from the, the corruption of sin that we are in that's another way that you can look at the work of salvation so there's several ways you can look at it and they're all you know there's many w- valid ways of looking at it so it's not just do we believe it this way or do we believe it in that way okay
1: so I- if if I were to go a little more in depth into what you said about that um, regarding the wages of sin being death could could we my, my perception of that had been that well, just you know trying to appeal to my rational mind I, it's like God created reality in a particular way in its perfection, and so the imperfection is sin um and it it creates chaos that chaos is essentially what causes our our deaths right is that does that like so far sound good y- uh,
0: well Sin does create death by its nature, but sin also has the consequence of death, Okay, Um, because God is the source of life. Yes? So so any life stems from God. God is the only one who exists in and of himself. God is the only one who is alive in and of himself. Any other creation, its existence is fundamentally based on the existence of God and the life of God so we if we are to have life in us it means that we are to be connected to God because our life stems from his life sin however is foreign to God right in order for us to have life with God we are in union with God we are close to God we are in intimate relation with God sin is foreign to God right so sin cannot dwell inside God so sin is naturally a barrier between us and him right so when there is a barrier between us and the source of life, what happens? We die. Okay. We're yeah, because we're separated from okay. the source of life.
1: Okay. Um, sure. So that, that's sort of what I was thinking mm. in, a, in a way, I guess. Um, so with regard to that, with this uh, Passover lamb being a symbol for Christ's sacrifice, how how exactly is that? Like, what do we mean by... Symbol in that sense, because uh, it was actually when you si- when you said symbol initially, I was like sparked because I I'd, I'd learned a few things about symbolism uh, from an Orthodox standpoint. Uh, I don't know if you'd heard of um, either Father Alexander Schmemann or um, Jonathan Pejol. Mm-hmm. Uh because they like uh, Father Alexander Schmemann spoke about symbolism with regard to the liturgy, uh, and then Jonathan Pejol speaks about symbolism just generally. Um, and it, w- it was, w- from what I gathered from both of them, and I haven't gone too d- in, de- in depth into them, was that symbol for us is is like, I- it's it's like an icon of greater reality, right? Like, we're, like, the things that, that we see, that we sense during the liturgy, for instance, um, it's just for us to be able to to have some perception of the blessing that God is bestowing upon us, about, uh, like the heavenly reality that's all around us. right? So I- I- is that in some way related to how this is symbol?
0: Yeah. Well, so God is wanting to prepare the people for understanding the Messiah. They believed that there would be a Messiah. Okay. The people, the Jews, believed that the Messiah would come. So in order for them to understand the characteristics of this Messiah, And what the Messiah is actually coming to do, he is giving them hints and flavors of what is salvation. So that when the Messiah comes and he accomplishes salvation, they will look at it and say, this is the true Savior. Right? This is the true Savior because we understand the work of salvation. And he is fully accomplishing all the things that were hinted at and symbolized in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? So we said as far as the lamb characteristics, he is to be without blemish. Also, it says that he should he should be a male, right? Because the Lord Christ, he is the bridegroom. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride, right? He is the bridegroom. So he is he's male. He's, he's representing the bridegroom. Um, also, as far as the timing, okay? So the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar, okay? So, um, so here he's saying um, on the 14th of the month, okay, is is the day where um, they will keep it and then they will offer it as sacrifice, okay? So some of the fathers, they say, the 14th of the month of the lunar calendar, this is the day where the moon becomes full. Because it's a lunar calendar, it's always on that day, right? Our calendars are not lunar calendars, so that's why on a given day of the month, the cycle of the moon is, is gonna keep changing because our months are not based on the length of the lunar cycle. But if you have a lunar calendar, on the 14th of the month is always the day of the, the moon being full. So it's saying it's representing as though the church, which is represented by the moon, is becoming fully enlightened by the sun, which which is represented by the Lord. So the Lord is shining his light upon this upon the the church and the church is becoming fully enlightened and its splendor is becoming obvious on this day of the 14th. Because this is the day where the church is receiving salvation. Okay? Um, the the five days between the 10th and the 14th, remember what happened on the 10th? What did, what did we say happened on the 10th? They got they, the, they received the lamb. They bring the lamb, right? So they... They have the they choose the lamb that they're going to sacrifice. Okay? And they keep it. On the fourteenth, this is the day that they actually sacrifice. Okay. So what is the symbolism of those five days? So some of the fathers they say this that the five days represent five beginnings of the world. The first beginning is what? Is the, the beginning of the creation? the creation so adam and eve right so the first is the creation of adam and eve beginning all of humanity this is the first be- what is the second beginning noah second beginning the world is destroyed in the flood and it is now beginning again after the flood what is the third beginning no not not the exodus but that makes sense huh A- abraham is the third right because why because he because he is chosen to be the father of all of the believers from his seed all of the believers will come so he this is like the beginning not another beginning another beginning is uh, when moses received the law right This is another beginning because now this is like the people know the word of God, the law of God that they are to follow, and then the fifth beginning um, is the coming of Christ, which is bringing on a new age of grace and salvation for the people. Okay. Another point here is speaking about the neighbors. He said, if if one particular family does not have enough people to be able to have the Passover meal. uh uh, on their own then you can combine families together like you can invite your neighbors to come and to join you and this invitation is representing inviting others to salvation because remember the passover is salvation the passover is to being saved from death so if you cannot get a lamb on your own for whatever reason you are, can invite those people into your house to have more people together and be saved together. So this is an invitation to salvation. You can see this as like evangelism, as spreading the word of God, as bringing others into the house of God for the sake of their salvation, okay? Um, the other thing is the sacrifice is being kept in one house, okay? And it's representing the sacrament being officiated in the church. There is one assembly. There is one church. There is one place where the sacrifice is being officiated inside the church, inside the house. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. Okay, so they sacrifice this animal. So remember, they bring it on the 10th of the month. They keep it until the 14th of the month. They slaughter the animal. They take the blood of the animal and they put it on the doorposts and the lintel. What is the lintel? The top part, just like here in the picture, right? The top. Um, so this blood represents what? Hmm? The, Christ the the blood of Christ, right? That was shed for our salvation. Um, what's unique about this plague compared to all the previous plagues? Well, I'm sure there's several things unique, but there's one thing I have in my mind. Yes. That's
1: that's uh, the only plague where the, uh, the people were involved had yes. something to do. Yes,
0: very good, right? This is the only plague where God told the people to take an action. Everything else, it was just done. He told Moses, r- lift your rod and the, the, the locusts came, or put your rod in the Nile and it turned into blood, or the frogs, or whatever, all the other plagues. The people were kind of passive, right? They saw God working. Here in this... Uh in this plague, is the first one where the people had to declare faith. You know, after having seen the nine plagues and seeing everything that God had done, it's like now I can declare faith. I can declare that I have seen the work of God and I can choose, do I believe? And if I believe, I'm going to take the blood of of Christ and I'm going to accept it. I'm going to accept salvation. This is why even though salvation is a gift— and salvation is offered to everyone, but not everybody accepts salvation. Not everyone accepts the gift of salvation. It's like, I want to give you a gift, and you refuse. You might say, no, I don't want it. I don't want the gift. Here, the Lord is offering it to everyone, but you have to do your part, right? You have to bring the lamb. You have to keep it for until the 14th. You have to slaughter it. You have to take his blood, and you have to put it on your doorpost. This is a way of life. Right? When we say about th- the Orthodox Church and, and what we believe and, and everything that we're doing in the church, there are a lot of things that we're asked to do. Like, there's a, there's a lot of things that we're asked to do. This doesn't mean that salvation is by works, it doesn't mean that our salvation is because we are doing those things. Our salvation is only because of what Christ did. But unless I take the blood of Christ and I put it on the doorposts, the blood of Christ is of no benefit to me. Right? Just because the Lord sacrificed himself for literally the entire world, it doesn't mean that the entire world has received salvation because there are many in the world that reject the blood of Christ, that reject the gift of salvation that he gave, okay? For the Egyptians to see that the the Jewish people are doing this act, it's an act of foolishness. What are you doing? Why are you taking an animal and killing it and putting the blood on the house? Like it's pointless and fruitless and useless. Like why are you doing that? And actually, it, it 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 mirrors in First Corinthians chapter one, where Saint Paul says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." Right. We who are being saved understand the mystery of salvation and understand the mystery of the cross and understand the mystery of the sacraments. We understand them and we do them with understanding because we understand the mystery. But to those who do not understand, right, to those who are perishing, to those who are living just completely for the world, those things have no meaning to them. And that's why when they would look at us, they would say, you people are crazy. We don't, why are you doing what you're doing? In the early church, they accused the, the the early Christians of being cannibals, right? Because we would speak about eating the body and blood of the Lord, and they, and they said about it that we are cannibals. There's literally letters written by some of the early church fathers trying to prove that we are not cannibals, right? It is a it is they don't understand, right? It is foolishness. Um. Also, in John chapter twelve, verse twenty-four, it was not enough. Like the life of Christ in and of itself, like the incarnation by itself was not enough to bring salvation. That's why the crucifixion was necessary, right? In John twelve twenty four, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain, right? It's like that's why we take the seeds and we bury it in the ground, and after you bury it in the ground, it grows and makes more of the plant, right? This is this is here what the Lord is saying, speaking about Himself. He's saying, if I have to die in order to produce fruit, right? The the this is the death for the sacrifice, the sacrifice for, this, the, for the forgiveness of sins. Saint Hippolytus, okay, he speaks about the blood and where it was placed on the door, okay. So he says what? The blood is on the upper lintel, namely on the church, and on the doorposts, namely on the two peoples, the Jews and the Gentiles. So he's saying the lintel at the top represents the church, and the doorpost represents the Jews and the Gentiles, meaning salvation is found in the church for both the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay, Um, St. Gregory of Nyssa, he believes... That putting the blood on the upper lintel under the two doorposts refers to the sanctification of the three parts of the soul—the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual—and that the human being is sanctified in all of his mental energies, desires, emotions, and inner feelings through the sacrifice of Christ. This is how he um, interpreted it. Also, it's not worth—it's noteworthy—that the blood was not put on the doorstep, right? It was not put on the ground. Right? As though we are trampling over it. Right? It is put above us. Right? It is something above us. It is not something below us. Okay? Actually, in Hebrews 10, verse 29, St. Paul says, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant uh, which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Right? Those who look down on the sacrament, or those who feel like it is unnecessary, it is like they are trampling on it. And here, the Lord did not ask them to put the blood on on the on the doorstep, um, um, near the ground. Okay. Then they shall eat the flesh, on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Okay. So, what is this? Why is it roasted? For? Yes. I have a really quick question about the last one when they were putting the blood on the lamppost and stuff um so you were saying that like the people the Israelites they were doing that because they saw all like the works of God like the faith and stuff like that so that was their way of declaring it right but what if like the person who was putting it on like they didn't really feel like okay uh, whatever I'm gonna do I'm gonna be saved and stuff and like this like what if in their hearts it wasn't genuine like what they were doing like their
1: works weren't genuine it was just doing that because they were being told to do it.
0: Well, in this case, everyone who did it would be saved. So let's ask this. Some people, they ask about infant baptism. And they say, why is it that we baptize infants? Because infants don't know anything. And they can't declare faith. They can't, they can't declare one way or the other whether they believe or not. And so many churches, they decide to wait until a person is older and they can declare faith with, like, with reason and understanding. And then if they declare faith, then they would be baptized. Okay. So when we baptize infants, why? So think about it like this. Like what about giving medication, right? Like if your child is sick and your child doesn't understand medication, doesn't understand how it works, right? Um, and you give them medicine, does it work? It works. W- without them having to understand, Right. One of the big differences between the Orthodox Church and other churches is that Orthodoxy is about an experience. It's something that's done to you. It's not something you do. Like when we come to the church, yes, obviously we're declaring faith and that's why we're coming. And when we take communion, it's we're taking it because we believe. But the primary experience of the church is something that's done to you. It's you are coming and you're partaking of the sacrament and God is working in you through it. It is it is a transformation by the Holy Spirit. I think that's all the sacraments. Like when you go into baptism, right, what are you doing? Your part is very minimal. I choose to come and to go into water. What is happening that is significant is what is happening to you in that the Holy Spirit is working in you, is that you are dying and being resurrected again. So... The primary experience that we have or the primary function um, of anything related to the church is something that's done to you. Yes, we obviously have to express faith in order to come. But a lot of times, even when a person is struggling in that faith, you know, like I always remember in Mark chapter 29 when there's this father who has a son who is sick and, and the Lord comes to him and the Lord essentially says, do you believe? And the man says, what I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Like, I believe in the sense that I'm doing it. I believe in the sense that I'm coming to the church. I believe in the sense that I'm taking of the sacrament. But that doesn't mean that I have 100% belief. I might still be struggling with doubts. I, I, I might still be struggling with wrong motivations. But I'm still doing it. And in the doing it, as long as I keep doing it, then the Lord can fix whatever wrong motivation I have or whatever doubt that I have. It can be cured. Because I'm choosing to come to the Lord, and I believe that with the Lord, there is transformation, there is healing, there is understanding. And simply by partaking of him, I change. And so that's why we see the mysteries in the church as being something so important, because it is, it is, a, med- it is a medicine. It is something that we take, and through it we have healing. Even if I'm not totally convinced or totally understand how that healing happens. That make sense? So, as far so then he says what? You shall eat it on that night roasted with fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs, right? So why? Um, roasted with fire, okay? Uh, so the so first thing is you don't just uh, kill the lamb and use the blood, but you eat the lamb, okay? So salvation is not only through the act of the crucifixion of Christ, but it is also about the eating of the lamb. What is the lamb? We said is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're eating him. Right? You're, you're eating him. This is, this is communion. This is, again, like thousands of years before the Lord came, thousands of years before the Lord instituted the sacrament. You see the symbols that should be in the mind of a believer or of a Jewish person that when the Lord comes and says, you know, when the Lord was at the table with his apostles— and he told them, this is my body, take eat of it, you know. It, it, it should it should come to their mind, right? This is why the Lord prepared them for so long, so that when they see these things, it triggers in their minds, like, yes, this is what it meant all along. There was this video, like a, like a video about a, a Jewish person who converted to Christianity. And he was talking about how his understanding of Judaism played such an important part for him to convert to Christianity because he began to really understand all the teachings and all the things that they were doing that they did without knowledge or without understanding. It became clear and understandable through the light um, of Christianity, through the light of Christ. Um. Also, it was custom at the time to roast the lamb, when they were roasting it in fire, to roast it on these two iron bars that crossed each other. So it made like a cross shape. Um, these two iron bars, they would put the lamb on that when they roasted it. Also, they are to eat unleavened bread. What does leaven represent? Sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, St. Paul, he says, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ our passover was sacrificed for us therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth right so so here he's telling them to eat the unleavened bread just as the Lord Christ okay he is the unleavened bread with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth so when we partake of Christ we should partake of him with purity of heart and purity of mind, Saint Ambrose he says that if the Jews celebrated the feast of Passover by eating unleavened bread for seven days, every Christian is committed to eat of the body of the true blood. Uh, sorry, the body of the true Lamb and lead a simple and holy life all the seven days. Sorry, right, the word the number seven is is what we call a perfect number, and whenever the number seven is used, it's it's speaking about like like forever, like or it, it, the entirety of something, right? So here when the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, later on it's 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 more um, clear, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was actually seven days long. So the reason for the seven days, according to St. Ambrose, essentially saying that just as um, unleavened bread represents purity, so for the Christian, our our purity should last for the entire life, right? The seven days of our life or the entire life. The last point here mentioned in this verse is speaking about the bitter herbs, eating it with the bitter herbs. This bitter herbs, it refers to the affliction of the world, okay? It reminds us of the suffering and tribulation that we will experience in the world. It reminds us also about the slavery of sin, th- you know, of which we are being freed by the sacrifice of Christ. So it kind of takes us like an understanding of this bitterness is what, the Lord is coming to cure in us, right? He's, he's coming to, to, to free us from this slavery. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roast it in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. So when we are to partake of God, right, we are to partake of it with like passion, with with like fire, not with lukewarmness like with water, but like fully hot, you know, in the, in the book of Revelation, one of the criticisms that the Lord made against the churches was that they are lukewarm. Like, you know, you're not hot with passion or with fire for the Lord, right? Here he's saying that we eat it with fire because it is, it is, it is like we are, we are hot and zealous, right, for God. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Okay? So when we partake of the Lord in, in communion, we, we eat the whole body, right? We don't leave any small crumb or any of it, okay? Um, St. Hippolytus, he said that the, the head uh, of, of the animal represents the law, which um, revealed the secret of the Passover. The feet are the disciples who preached peace on the mountains of Zion, while the entrails are the Passover itself that came to know that we came to know through the law and the Bible. So he's, he's saying the different parts of the animal represent different things, but none of it shall remain. We consume it all. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Okay. So because the, the Jews now, in this first institution of the Passover, they are getting ready to travel right they are doing this right before they are about to travel to leave egypt right they're going to leave egypt and they're never going to return again so they are like eating it while they are prepared they have all their clothes on they're ready to travel your staff is in your hand and they're eating it to remind themselves right that this that this event is is this passover is to save them from the death of sin and slavery and and pharaoh right because they're about to depart egypt okay and from a symbolic perspective, eating of the Passover, which represents the Lord Christ, right, is that we are ready to travel as well. Like we are ready to travel to heaven. We are ready and alert and watchful at all times. That we partake of the Passover, we are ready to go. This is why, actually, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, um, when they—if you've ever seen like the those who enter the altar in the Eastern Orthodox Church—they enter with their shoes on. We enter with our shoes off because we say, just as God told Moses at the burning bush, uh, you know take off your sandals because where you are standing is holy ground. So we say the sanctuary is holy ground, so we take off our shoes. The Eastern Orthodox Church, they have a different symbol. and their symbol is that just as the Lord told uh, the people, when you partake of the Passover to have sandals on your feet, as a way of remembering to be watchful and as a way of like you're remembering that you are traveling, right to keep your shoes on so they actually look at it this different symbol and they say oh we're going to keep our shoes on to remind us uh, of this for i will pass through the land of egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of egypt i will execute judgment i am the lord now the blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall n- not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this is why it's called Passover, okay? Because <coughs> uh, when the Lord sees uh, uh, the, the blood on the post, right, this plague, okay, it will pass over those houses and not kill them not kill the firstborn there in those houses okay so this is the feast that the jews were actually celebrating at the time of christ's crucifixion okay you know when um, when the lord said in matthew 26 you know that after two days is the passover and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified so the the lord in the actual holy week he was crucified On the Passover, right? Which again, it links these two things together. So that even more so in the mind of any Jewish person who understands the law of Moses, who understands the rites of the Passover, he understands that the Lord is the one who is dying. The Lord is the one who is shedding his blood. On the very same day that we are celebrating the Passover where we are remembering this first Passover where the people were saved through the shedding of the blood uh, of the lamb. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Right. So he's saying you will celebrate this every year. The Jews were to always remember this event in their history, to relive it year by year, and and to remember that this is what God has done for them. Okay. This is the importance of having feasts. This is why, like in the church, we have many events that we commemorate on a yearly calendar basis. Right? We have many fasts, we have many feasts, and it always reminds us of all the important events and things that we should always keep in our hearts all year round. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So again, leaven represents sin. They removed it for seven days, and no one is allowed to have any leaven at all in their house for those seven days. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So. They remove the the, the leaven as like an act of of accepting salvation and removing sin from their life, okay? And these first and last days, when it says there shall be a holy convocation, essentially they are being treated like Sabbath days. So no matter if work is done, they are consecrated to the Lord and treated like Sabbath days. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt, Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty first day of the month at evening. So the Passover is the first day, and then starts the feast of the unleavened bread for seven days. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two door boats with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of the house of his house until morning okay and the 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 hyssop plant um, was used to purify people from leprosy in the book of leviticus and from sin and from sickness and for ritual purification so it kind of represents purification the hyssop plant So they would take the hyssop plant, dip it into the pool of blood after they had slaughtered the animal, and they would take the hyssop with the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It, shall, it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. So the Lord wanted from this point on that they would be practicing the Passover every single year. Unfortunately, what ended up happening is that after they disobeyed God and they did not enter into the promised land at the beginning, and instead they wandered in the desert for 40 years, they were not practicing the Passover during this time. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord. It is a way of teaching, right? Like when the children see, why are we practicing this? It is a way of teaching them. It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. You know, it's important for us to be teaching our children the important aspects of the faith. Otherwise, the only thing that will be filling their mind is materialism and secularism and entertainment, and that's it. That's the only thing that's going to come into their mind. It's like we have to force in their mind the things that are of real importance, which are things related to to our faith, things related to the church. Why is it that we do what we do? So that they are enriched and fulfilled by it. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. And, and also take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. So Pharaoh finally just said, take everything, just go, right? He finally agreed for them all to go. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. He's like, they just they don't want them there anymore. They have been a source of constant suffering for them, Um, Ever since the plagues began, for they said, we shall all be dead, right? Like if they, what's next? Like if we don't let them go now, God is going to kill all of us, right? Everything is going to get worse. We see here that Satan submits to the power of God in freeing God's people from the bondage of slavery, right? Um, The victory is achieved not just through our efforts, but through the working of God for redemption, for transformation, for sanctification. This is again why Anyone who is struggling against sin can only have victory through the power of God working in them. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor and the sight of the Egyptians, so they granted them what they requested— Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So they took all of the, these material things from the Egyptians, and now they're getting ready to leave and taking them with them. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks and herds a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. Because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was four hundred and thirty years. So they, since the time of of Joseph and and Jacob and his brothers and all of those people coming to Egypt, it it had been four hundred and thirty years, and it came back. And it came to pass at the end of four hundred and thirty years on the very same day. It came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. So he's saying only those people who are circumcised, whether they are of originally the Hebrew people, or whether they were brought into the assembly who are Gentiles and foreigners, if they consent to being circumcised, then they are allowed to eat it. So what does that sound like? Yeah, baptism, right? Like, anyone from any place can be baptized, and after they are baptized, then they can come and partake of communion, right? Because they are considered one with the people. Sorry, what? The map? Where's the map? Oh. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so speaking about Ramses the Succoth. So you can see here the blue line is the line approximately, and different people have different opinions about this, but approximately the the way that they traveled and where they are going to cross the Red Sea. Some people actually have a very different opinion saying they didn't cross the Red Sea there, but they crossed the Red Sea on the other side, actually from the Sinai into Saudi Arabia. Um, But yeah, this is one of the views. okay in one house it shall be eaten you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house nor shall you break one of its bones okay again um in in john 19 verse 36 when um he's speaking about the fact that they did not break the bones of christ okay he said what for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled not one of his bones shall be broken right Th- because again this is a this is a, a prophecy of what is going to happen to the lord and and they did not break his bones when he was on the cross and when st john is speaking about how this was so the scripture is fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken because he is the passover he is the passover lamb um, <coughs> all the congregation of israel shall keep it and when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the passover to the lord let all his males be circumcised, and, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. Again, no matter where a person comes from, again, how does it that God view the Gentiles? Any Gentile who wanted to come into the assembly to be circumcised, to partake of the Passover meal, and he shall be as a native of the land. Like he will be treated as, as an, a native, original Hebrew person. Just like in the church, regardless of where a person is coming from, when they are baptized, then we are all the same. We are all the people of God. There is no preference given. No uncircumcised person shall eat of it, just as no unbaptized person will partake of communion. One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Both, whether native-born or stranger, they are to follow the same law. Thus, all the children of Israel did. As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did, and it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies, and glory be to God forever. Amen. So God willing, next time, actually we will not, uh, no, never mind. Next time, God willing, we will, um, we will continue and see the crossing uh, of the Red Sea, one of the most famous events um, in the Bible. Any questions before we conclude? Yes. <coughs>
1: um, so, two questions, uh, both related. Why? So there was a lot of verses in this um, speaking about how uh, they were uh, they were told not to eat of uh, unleavened bread. No, they were supposed to eat unleavened bread, not the leavened bread, because lev- leavened bread represented sin, right? Um, but in the Orthodox Church, if I understand it correctly, we use leavened bread. So uh, what's the symbol for that? Why have we chosen to do that? Very
0: good question. So in the Catholic Church, their communion, they use unleavened. They have an unleavened Eucharist. Like they have the wafers that are unleavened, okay, for that reason. In the Orthodox Church, the reason that we have leavened bread is because the Lord carried our sin. So the leaven in the bread doesn't represent the sin of the Lord. It represents our sin. Because what we are doing in the liturgy is essentially reenacting the work of salvation, right? And when the Lord, we are breaking the bread at the end, like like the breaking of the Lord, okay? And, br- and we are partaking of His body. It has leaven in it because our sin is on Him, and that is how the that is how we have salvation. Because our sin is on Him, and He took that punishment of death, as we said before, the wages of sin is death, and so that's how we have salvation. So, um, from from that perspective. For f- we, we, to help us remember that the Lord took our sin, that's why we use leaven.
1: So, like, he's, he's like, through the Incarnation, he's taken on our sinful flesh, and it's re- rep- represented in the bread, in the, well in the bread. Mm-hmm. Right? That's it? Yeah, and
0: also, right r- before the crucifixion, you know, the, 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 the Lord accepted our sin on himself, right? And that's one of the reasons that he suffered so much before the crucifixion. Right? and he, he was sweating blood. okay. Like The idea of the Lord accepting the sin, it's not something we can understand. The idea that the Lord is accepting our sin on himself, so he nailed it to the cross. Right, He nailed this, our sin to the cross, that, that it's like all of humanity participated in the crucifixion so that all of our sin is forgiven through his death. It's like we receive the consequence of sin through his death and not through our own death because our sin is on him.
1: I'll avoid the second question because I feel like it's really late. Hmm? I, I, I'll avoid the second question because I feel like it's really late.
0: Okay, is yeah. that a long question?
1: I feel like it could be.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can talk uh, we can talk later. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We ask you, O Lord, to help us to see and understand the great mystery of the Passover and how thousands of years ago you even showed us what is it that you are planning to do. We thank you, O God, because you place within your scripture many valuable lessons and many valuable symbols to help us to understand you more and to understand your plan of salvation that you had prepared even from the beginning. We thank you, O God, for your mercy and kindness and love and patience upon us. We thank you, O God, because you redeem us, though we are unworthy. We ask, O God, that we make use of your gifts. And that we partake, O Lord, of your body and blood with sincerity of heart, with a desire for purity, and with a spirit of repentance. We thank you, O Lord, for your mercies upon us. And we ask, O God, that you strengthen the church and each one of us. And that you bring, O Lord, the message of salvation to the world. And bring, O Lord, anyone who is willing to listen and hear into the fold, O Lord, and grant them the salvation and forgiveness of their sins. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints,